And now, here's Johnny! Hey, it's Mike Johnson from the NHL and TSN and the NHL Network. Normally, I'm inside the booth analyzing games, but today, I'm with Stephen Paul inside the truck. This is Inside the Truck, presented by Summer Skates. Show your game off the ice. Inside the Truck, pulling back the curtain on sports television production. Here is Steve Lansky and Paul Hemming. I'm Steve Lansky. I've produced Hockey Night in Canada, the CFL on CBC, and for the first five years they were on the air, I produced Sportsnet's hockey studio. On Twitter, I'm at Big Mouth Sports. And I'm Paul Hemming. I've been a live sports TV director for over 20 years. I've directed the Stanley Cup playoffs, NHL Winter Classics, Hockey Night in Canada, and the World Juniors. Currently, I'm the director for the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas and can be found on Twitter and Instagram at From Ice Level. E21 of Inside the Truck, my friend. Episode 21. Here's Johnny. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so for anybody who watched the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, those are poor imitations of Ed McMahon. If you remember it, oh my God, it was the golden age of television, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> loved, loved, loved the Tonight. I was never old enough to stay up to watch it, but I did love the Tonight Show. You know what we used to do when I was a kid? Oh my God, I can't believe I remember this. We used to have something called cookie time. Mm -hmm. My parents would, we'd go to bed. I don't know what time. We were not very old. We lived in Toronto. I'm going to say I was five, six, seven years old. Right. We'd go to bed, and they would promise to wake us up for Johnny's monologue. And we would, yep, and we would get up, and we'd have a cookie and milk, and we'd watch Johnny's monologue, and then back to bed. That's lucky. I never got that. I never got that. The only time I would get to see Johnny Carson was if it was like a Friday night and my parents were having a party and, uh, and I could sneak out of my, my bedroom and somehow just disguise myself and bury myself in the party and watch it. But yeah, I was never allowed to stay up that late to watch it. To me, one of the greatest interviewers in the history of television. So funny and so clever. So episode 21, who's the greatest 21 ever? Well, since uh, the majority of our listeners are, are hockey fans, uh, well, let's, let's, let's keep it to hockey. Do you want to make your selection first, or should I just take give you mine? No, because whichever one I choose won't be the right answer. So why don't we just start with the right answer and go from there? The greatest number 21 of all time in hockey, well, NHL anyway, Boreas Salming, defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Detroit Red Wings, but uh, we will we'll, we'll delete that part of his career. He was by far the greatest defenseman in that era, you know, early 70s to, to the 80. Bobby Orr, or we don't count Bobby Orr? Well, no, I mean, because Salmi came to the league in, what, 73, right? Yeah. So, and that was sort of, you know, Bobby was battling his beat-up knees and stuff, still super talented, but he he didn't have the talent and the skill that Boris Salmi brought with him from Sweden. And what he pulled off there from, what, 75 to 80, he was, a, was on the NHL All-Star team every year uh, with, a, let's face it, a brutal team around him, the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? So, yeah, I would say 21 Boris Salmi. The one, the one thing that I'll never forget was um, that night that he got stepped on in Detroit. The game Paul is about to talk about was played at Joe Louis Arena in November 1986. At that point, Salming was in his 13th NHL season with the Maple Leafs at the ripe old age of 35. 
in a collision in front of the crease, Gerard Gallant from the Detroit Red Wings stepped on Salming's face and cut him for, I want to say, 250, 300 stitches. He missed, I think, only a couple of games, and he was back playing after that. I'll never forget. It happened midweek in Detroit. That Saturday night at Maple Leaf Gardens, I was a runner for Hockey Night in Canada, so my job was to go and get, you know, get the players for the pre-tapes and stuff. And Salming was a pre-tape. Um, you know, they want to talk to him about his injury. Nobody knew how bad the injury was. I mean, they, they knew that he got stepped on. Yes, there was a, a massive amount of blood, but nobody knew like what the injury looked like. So I, I run, you know, it's my job. I run and knock on the back door of the Leafs dressing room. Got to get Boyd to come over, opens up the door and he looks like elephant man. Like the, the cut, the wound the, had infected and it was just oozing with pus and everything. And he was just, they were just like, I'm pretty sure you don't want to put me on TV. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, no, it was, it was grotesque. Like you would not have put that on TV, but I'll just, I'll never forget that chance to, to be the guy that knocked on the door. And it was the first time anybody had seen him. I remember this is like, you know, there's no internet, right? And, and there's no, you know, there's no social media. The last time they saw Salming was being helped off the ice in Detroit in, in a massive amount of distress. So that was a moment I will never forget in my Hockey Night in Canada days. And with the Borea Salming mental picture still in my head, it's time for After the Pod. What do you got, Paul? Well, Steve, you know, normally I, I come to the table prepared. Uh, I've got something loaded uh, for every part of this podcast. But unfortunately, my schedule has been a little bit busy uh, lately. Uh, doing a game. I think it's, I worked it out to every 1.875 days. So unfortunately I've got some stuff for mailbag a little bit later on, but I have nothing for after the pod. So this one is all you partner. Nothing. You got nothing. You're a dry hole. That's correct. I've been called worse, but I'll, I'll take dry hole. Yeah. I gotta be honest after the Borea Salming description, you're probably good for 20, 25 minutes. You can coast <laughs> for another half hour. You don't need to have anything. So I have a buddy in Edmonton. We'll call him, oh, I don't know, Gary. But his name's not Gary. But it's kind of like Gary. And Gary and I have been friends for like 35 years. And he always sends me notes after every podcast. Here's what you guys did great. Here's what I didn't love. And I love getting the notes because I'm not a broadcaster. You're not a broadcaster. We're not, you know, geniuses. We don't necessarily know what we're doing here. And he writes me a note. And it says, when you guys were talking about the most recent TV broadcast, getting away from the basics, I wasn't sure what you meant. And I said to myself, I sure hope they give us some examples. And bingo, you did. So I'm reading this and I'm like, hey, this is pretty exciting. Gary's loving this. Mm -hmm. And then he says, that was helpful and made the point more cogent. I'm like, great. And then he writes, you made me laugh as you guys sounded like a bunch of old fogies bitching about the good old days. And I'm like, Ooh. what? Yeah, what the hell? So right. because I'm contemplative and I'm introspective, I think for a minute. And I think, well, is he right? Is he right? And what, what are we doing now that we wouldn't have done when we were 25? Uh -huh. And I think, to me, you tell me what you think, the answer is nothing. I'm, I'm saying the same things now I said when I was 25. So there's, the only difference is my age and my body of experience before I say what I'm going to say. So when you're 25, you're just like some yappy little Pomeranian going on about something. But when you're the age that we are, now we're old guys bitching at clouds in the sky. I don't understand that because now is, is when we actually have the experience to back up what we're saying. So to me, that's confusing as hell. Yeah, I was definitely a yappy Pomeranian at 25. 
that's a perfect analogy or description. Let's just talk about sports television is because that's what this podcast is about. Yeah. As you go through your career slash life, because let's face it, working in this industry, there's not really any clear separation. Uh, this is not, you know, you're not working at the bank. Uh, whatever I'm doing at home on my personal time is heavily revolving around work. You take all those experiences and it's like just as a giant snowball that rolls along as your life and you come to this stage in your life and you're a giant snowball with all these experiences that you've gathered along the way. And that allows you to, to make the comments or the criticisms or the queries that you make about certain things like that. It's not a grumpy old man. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. You know, it's not, not that. It's just, hey, I'm talking from a body of, say, f- you know, 40 years in the business. And this allows me to say, hey, you know what? Um, I think it's gotten away from this and it needs to get back to that. And that's not grumpy old man. That's that's more like 10,000 foot perspective on it. That, that's the way I would take that. It's beautiful. I knew you'd have a way to sum that up. I think that's right. You're just imparting some knowledge because we've, the problem is when you get to be this age, you've seen the movie a lot of times already. So this is not the first time we're seeing whatever is happening. Now, I should follow up that Gary sent a subsequent email. You know, we go back and forth about life and our lives. And then in it, he wrote, I had a great day today. I sat in my hot tub and had a fresca. And I thought, oh, oh, oh my go. God, who the hell is the yeah. old man? Who even knows what a goddamn fresca <laughs> is anymore? Exactly. And if that's a great day, well, then moving on. We know who the old man is, right, buddy? Correct. Okay, partner, uh, time for my favorite part of the podcast, Mailbag. And our last episode, E20, featured John Forslund, the new play-by-play television voice of the NHL's expansion, Seattle Kraken. I know John. John is not only a colleague, but he's also a friend. This is how much he loved the show. He messaged me around 8 a.m. on the morning that it released, and it said, Thanks, my man. Listen to it. All of it was great. And my first 20 was Lem Barney. And and for those of you that don't know... Uh, <laughs> Much like we talked about 21 Borea Salming earlier in this episode, Steve and I always pick, uh, go, just off the top of your head, athlete, you know, pertaining to the number of the episode. And, and mine, being a Detroit Lions fan growing up, I gave three levels of number 20, three eras of number 20, Barry Sanders, Billy Sims, and Lem Barney. That struck a chord with John, so I thought that was pretty funny. Lem Barney. Uh, our next one came via Twitter from Patrick M. TM from Microsoftville, Washington, who messaged us to say, hey, I'm listening in the Seattle area, which is which is awesome, considering the tie-in with the Kraken and John Forslund and all that, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. My favorite one came also via Twitter. Kathy Cardinal from somewhere in SoCal, I think is becoming my favorite listener. <laughs> she added us, is it just me, or was at Big Mouth Sports extra giggly in the first few minutes of the latest Inside the Truck? Sounds a bit maniacal at two times. And I, I, I thought that was pretty good. I got a chuckle out of that when I opened that one. <laughs> Listen, you, you got to come on with a certain amount of energy, right? Do you find, Paul, that when we do these podcasts, you don't have the same energy every time we sit down to do this? Or do you? Like, are you able to control that? That's really tricky to do. I find that tricky to do. You? Yeah, no, it's it's very tricky because we're just human. And and depending on what kind of day we're having when we sit down to record this, that that completely 
rolls over into, right? I mean, there's been interviews that we've done with past guests where I've just come off like an hour and a half co- mind-numbing conference call. And when we sit down, it's just like, I, I know that in that interview, I was no good because, you know, I was just trying to like get my marshmallow brain back in order. So yes, it, it totally, it, it's impossible. We're not pros. There's no red lights that come on and we just, you know, we respond to, you know, like Pavlov's dog to the red light. You know, we do the best we can. Do you find that when you see me on the Zoom call when we're about to do the show, your mood changes? Because for me, as soon as I see you, and I've known you for 35 years, I forget everything else except you and how we're about to laugh for like an hour. How weird, like that's weird, but that's that's exactly what goes on in my head. My head goes, boom, hey, there's Paul. We're going to laugh for an hour. Yeah, it's awesome. Recording days are always my favorite, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Funny, eh? So I got a tweet, J Shell, TVJ419. I just finished all 19 episodes in just over a week. Ooh, that can't be healthy. That's like having six or seven x-rays in an hour. I'm not sure you want to do that. I love this podcast and especially enjoyed, I like this, enjoyed the technical nature of the last episode. Uh, that would be Seven Pounds of Silver, where we talked to Eddie Verstraight, who was an audio guy on the Super Bowl. As an engineer, I'd love to see you interview an EIC. EIC, short for Engineer in Charge. The EIC directs and coordinates activities on a TV remote and is responsible for installation and maintenance of the equipment. I'd love to see you interview an EIC on the podcast. Keep up the good work. Listening at 100%. That was his hashtag. Yeah. So now there seems to be a schism. What yeah. speed should you listen to the show at? See what Kathy started? This is all Kathy. This is all SoCal Kathy that started this. It really is. And I don't think we're going to pretend it's not because it is. So, Paul, I'm not going to lie to you. Of all the interviews we've done on this podcast so far in the first 20 plus episodes, this is one of the ones I've been looking forward to the most. Because for me, Mike Johnson as a television hockey analyst is To say the best might be a stretch, but man, oh man, for me, there is no analyst I would rather listen to more than Mike Johnson. And we're going to talk a bit about that today and why that might be. Anyway, Mike Johnson played 661 games in the NHL, 129 goals, 246 assists, 375 points, went to Bowling Green State University, took finance, he's going to talk about that, and signed as a free agent with the Toronto Maple Leafs, free agent, and then was on the 1997-98 NHL All-Rookie Team with Patrick Iliash, New Jersey Devils, Sergei Samsonov, Boston Bruins, two Canadian team players, Derek Morris and Matthias Oland, Calgary and Vancouver on the blue line, and Jamie Storr was on that team as the goaltender from Los Angeles. I have not worked with Mike Johnson, but you have. Yeah, Johnny and I, uh, our paths first crossed in, I'm going to say, 2010 at TSN. He was doing some studio work and then uh, got a chance to work remotely as analysts at games. And he started, he took the the Hockey Canada events out of the gate, sort of to cut his teeth and stuff. I knew right away that he was going to be brilliant at his role. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But we, uh, Johnny and I worked together on TSN uh, NHL regional and national broadcasts. We had a couple of NHL, uh, a couple of Stanley Cup playoff runs together. In 2014, when uh, Rogers NHL assumed or acquired the rights from the national broadcast rights from TSN, Johnny and I both went there 
and we worked for two seasons together there as well too. So we spent lots of time together inside the rink, outside of the rink, on airplanes and hotels. He's a very good friend also. Mike, we're going to start here because it's a unique season. Just how much are you loving calling games off tube this year rather than being in the rink all the time? <laughs> I'm picking up on your sarcasm. That's good because I'm laying it on pretty thick. Yes. Um, you know, it's not ideal. I, I want to be optimistic about the world and be like, you know what? We're happy that there is hockey to call. We're happy that sports are going on and we're finding ways to get them to the air. But there's no question that I, I think my level of enjoyment of engagement um is higher when you're in the building when you have a chance to to feel the crowd and feel the moment even without the crowd you can feel the moment on a bench on the ice um and then it, you know as far as information goes like i never liked going to a press conference i never liked asking in a scrum because i whatever i ask somebody else is probably going to want to think and whatever someone's going to tell me might be different if they were to talk to me by myself versus talk to me and 10 other people. So not being able to call the games in person and, and even the, the games where I have been in person, not being able to talk to players, you can't, you just can't get near them. And I can text them, but it's always a bit different than when I can sit down in the locker beside them, shoot the breeze, and then figure out, you know, some sort of little nugget about what's going on in their world or their team. So there's lots of reasons why being in the building, being on location is preferred, strongly preferred by, by most um, people that are calling the game. So hopefully we get back to that. Um, I know sometimes logistically these things happen. I've called games off too before. You can kind of get through it. If nothing crazy happens, people at home probably won't realize, um, but it's not preferred and hopefully we'll, uh, we won't do it forever. Johnny, what are the biggest challenges in executing the broadcast remotely? Hmm. And have you had any stumbling blocks with the new process? The, the, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is you can't see the whole rink, right? And, you know, the play-by-play guy, he's calling the game where the puck is, and generally that's where the camera is. You know, but I, I'm watching everything. I'm watching what that backup goalie's doing sitting in the tunnel. I'm watching what the guy is limping off the ice, or is he skating normally off the ice? Did he leave the bench? Is, is the coach yelling at someone? Are guys arguing? Like, there's a lot going on that add to the texture of what I am understanding is happening that I can't see. And so... You know, I, I'm doing my best to do my job, um, which is kind of explain what's going on and why based on the, the pictures right in front of me. But I don't have the full picture. And I think I do a better job explaining the whole story when I can see the entire picture. So that's been the challenge as far as any stumbling blocks. I, I was calling a game off tube with a play by play guy who was on site last last week. And for eight minutes of the first period, he could not hear my voice technically. So he was just guessing when I was going to talk or not talk. And I, w- and I didn't know this. I was just talking as I would normally until one time he stepped all over me on a face-off and I got onto my talk back and talked. To- I'm like, what is he doing? Does, does he not hear me talking? Like, what is he doing? And then, and then they clued, the, the producer didn't even know. He's like, oh, he can't hear you. So that was, um, you know, something that would not otherwise occur. But uh, you, you get through it. You kind of smile. You don't beat yourself up. We're all kind of perfectionists chasing a perfect game that doesn't exist. Um, you don't want to mess up. You don't want someone at home to say, what are those guys doing? What's, what's that all about? Uh, but, you know, in moments like this and years like this, if stuff like that happens, you just, you, you can't beat yourself up over it. You just got to let it go and, and, and keep, uh, keep pushing forward to the next game. 
At what point in your career, I assume it was when you were a player, did you think, maybe I could talk about the game for a living? Um, I don't know if I ever thought I could. I thought it might be fun to try as a transitionary thing before I get into the real world. Because when I was playing, you know, many, so 25 years ago, I got a degree in finance and like my life was going to be involved finance. And I've always been curious whether or not I'd be good at it. In my mind, I completely believe I would have been good at it, but I don't know. And so when I played, I was more concerned with that post-playing career. Um, it really wasn't until um, when I played, I was injured a couple times and I did a couple of those um, appearances where current players jump into the studio and do a playoff panel or something. Like That was fun. It was kind of you know a fun thing to do, but I have zero training, zero history, zero background in communications or television or anything like that. And, and even to the point where I first started, see, I don't know if you, I've told the story before, but, you know, I was, I'd spent the summer after I retired, hanging around, playing golf, got a job starting in the fall at a financial company, was getting my accreditation so I could go back to work. And during that like six week time when I was doing the accreditation, I got asked to do a radio show. The radio show spilled into a TV show, TV show spilled into an NHL network and on and on it went. And I pushed starting my financial job just so I could explore this a little bit. And that was 13 years ago or 12 years, whatever it was a long time ago. And so I, I didn't necessarily chart this course. I just kind of fell into it, but I'm, I'm delighted that I have because I really enjoy it. We began working together at TSN in 2011 and I'll never forget those early shows. Mm-hmm. You were just so curious as to what went on inside the truck, the role of the director, the role of the producer. Where did that curiosity come from? <laughs> That, Chop, you know, we, we and I have traveled around a lot together. Like, that's my personality. I like to understand why. And I, I, I'm probably too old to be one of the kids that are, like needs to know why, why everything's happening. But I think whenever I've been in any capacity and any job and anything I cared about, I wanted to know why, what's going on. Even if it's not related to me or I'm not influencing what's happening, when, when you're directing, you're cutting cameras. And I, I like to know what cameras are available and why they you know, who controls them and, and how you do your job. And I want to know what the producer is seeing and how he puts it together and why he's choosing that. Cause it helps me in my mind, the more information I have, I don't feel bogged down by it. I it actually probably adds more clarity to what I do and, and why it goes out and how we're going to lay out a show. And if I have a story about this, but I know a promo is coming in here, then maybe there's not enough time and we can work it some other way. And, and I, I like to know all those things. Now, sometimes it gets me in trouble. Like I remember one of the early days in studio where we were doing something and they're like, okay, cut, cut, do, do it again. And I got on top about it. I'm like, why, what happened? And the, the, the director got mad at me like, as though I was like, somehow like who screwed up and tell me. And I'm like, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble here. I want to know, did I screw up? Was it a font? Was the, did the light pop out? I just want to know. Cause I like to understand what goes on. I don't know if no one really taught me Paul Graham at TSN probably sat me down for an hour and gave me the Coles notes version uh, of how to do a, be a color guy. Um, but that's about the only training I had. So I just was taking it from the guys I work with um, and my own personality. And I, I like to understand why. And, that, and that's just kind of how I've always been. Excellent mantra there, Johnny, for sure. Uh, it must be noted for the record that uh, Mike is the only hockey analyst I've ever worked with that stops down at the truck before and after every game. Uh, just check in, see how the show went. Where did that motivation come from? Well, you know what thing is, Chop? And I, I mean this sincerely. Uh, like, 
I probably, without having done that, and mostly that, that was me trying to meet people initially because I didn't know the people I was working with. I, I don't really, I would not have understood how me asking for highlights, like what happens there and like why I get them or don't get them and who gets them for me. And to understand what they're doing in EVS, I think it's called, like what those tape ops are doing, it, it, it boggles my mind how good they are, but I, but without having gone down there and now it's where I go down there and they know I'm coming and like, okay, what are you looking for today? And I give my list of like 10, 15 things. I'm like, so when I say hemming breakouts, like this is what I'm talking about, but I'm only going to say that, but you know, and so you make your list. So when I say, you know, Lansky board work, like, like they know that that's where I'm coming from. And then it can help us all be streamlined a little bit better, but I would never have known that have I not gone down there to, to say hello as much as, as try to understand anything. So it's, it, it's worked out as well for me as it is for anyone. And then after the game, you know, I know we're all kind of keen to get out of there and get on with our days and go for dinner and get a bite to eat or drink or whatever it is. Um, but so much attention is paid to the people that are on camera and, and like whatever, it's nice. We like it at times. Um, but I, I think, you know, the people who work behind the camera, just as important, in many ways more important, um, taking a moment to go say thanks or, you know, to have a conversation about it. I like this, we miss that, whatever, um, probably is a sign of respect that I have for them for the job that they do because they, without them, like, what do I got? I got nothing. I'm out there just talking. So um, it's good. And then the longer you're somewhere, the more, the, the better the relationship gets with those people that you work with and they understand you and you understand them. Um, it, it helps the shows. So I guess anything that helps the show, it's, it's probably not a bad idea. I think it's pretty clear at this point that your perspectives are unique for an on-camera person in this business. And one of the things that I think makes you a, a really interesting analyst to listen to, and I think it applies to all analysts who are really good, is you're really not that guarded about things. You don't hide behind a shield when you're looking to say what you want to say. Do you think that's an important component of what you do? I remember when I started, I, I, I had a couple of things, bits of advice. One was um, don't sit on the fence. Like if you have something to say, say it. The other bit of advice I got was if you can say it in 20 words, don't take 40. If you can say it in 10, don't take 20. And while I do get accused occasionally of being a little flowery with my language of somehow like, you know, reading a thesaurus that day, but that's just kind of how I talk sometimes. Those things have struck with stuck with me as as good bits of advice is if, if you have something to say positive or negative um say it if you want to have fun like have fun have, have a joke um and the other part that i encompass all of that with is whatever i'm going to say on air in any radio tv panel studio games if i say it on air i would say it to your face and i would be comfortable and you could disagree with me and like you're dead wrong but i would be able to support my position and they, this is why I said that. So I'll never say, you know, Mike Johnson's a bad person or a bad, but I'm like, that was a bad decision. And I could, and I would defend it. And I've had, you know, the odd run in with players like, Hey, what's up with that? And I'm like, well, I mean, this is what I saw happening. This is what I see. And, um, and, and, and that's fine. So I, you know, that's kind of my philosophy. If I'll say it on air, I'll say it to your face and I won't have a problem with that. And if I'm uncomfortable telling you to your face that I, I, I probably want to be uncomfortable saying that on, on air, but you know, there's the John Davidson, I think, you know, one of the very best at being color and kind of like revolutionary. And I, I, I remember reading his 
thoughts on being a color person. He's like, you know, the, the play-by-play guy tells you what's going on. Your job's explain why. And, and, and there's lots of elements to why, but so that's what I'm trying to do. And it's good, bad um, systems. It's coach, it's personnel, it's personality, but it's why. And, and whatever that reason is, I try to say it. Do you think that certain analysts today fall into that trap of basically repeating what the play-by-play guy just said? I don't want you to name anything, but I'm just talking about <laughs> the overall spectrum of what happens. A lot of guys fall into that trap for my way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, I've read that before and I've seen that before. Now, there are moments where like, you know, if I see Connor McDavid go through the whole team, like I don't need, I don't want to break down his edge work. I'm like, look how crazy good this is. Like there are moments that are so big that, you like, I just, I just want to revel in the excellence of, or the absurdity of the moment. I don't need to explain why just have some fun or enjoy the enthusiasm of the moment. But for the most part, I mean, if we're going to, I don't even know, you guys tell me there's probably what 70 face-offs in a game, whatever it is, 60 face-offs in a game. So you have 60 stoppages, like in the most stoppages, there might be a replay. People can watch, like they can see what's going on the TV. That's why the TV's on. So for them to say, uh, look at Johnson, he took him wide and then he passed it to the middle and then he shot on the net. Like, yeah, that's, that's right. My eyes do work and I can see that. Um, so I try to steer clear and I would like to say why that play worked or why was he able to go wide or why was that a good pass or bad defense or whatever? Yes. No one does it all the time. Like, you know, explains why all the time. I certainly don't, but being a secondary play-by-play guy is something I try to steer clear of. So, Take me through being an analyst then. You're watching a game. The puck goes in the net. What happens in your head? Can you even break down the mechanism of what happens at that moment for you as an analyst? So, yeah. I, yeah. So, I mean, I'll see the goal go in. I probably will get on talk back right away. And and as Chop knows, I am a, a stream of consciousness talkback guy. So, I have my talkback pressed, which is, you know, the mechanism to talk to the producers in the truck almost the entire game. It's only not pressed when I'm talking on air. So like if, if I'm doing my job well and I'm having a a game where I'm on, like I will have already said bad pinch there, good chip there. Oh, blew it. I will have done my play by play on the way in explaining what's going on before I even get there. And then, so if I see that, then I'll be like, okay, take that back, take that back. I want to see that. So like they'll and chop and the producer will understand they're going to show me a quick look at the goal and it's, and it's amazing. And then they'll like take it back to where I can explain, this is where the good play happened. This is where the breakdown happened. And I will walk it through. So that's kind of like in the whatever, eight seconds, I'm letting it breathe. They're celebrating the play by plays crushing his great goal call. I'm in communication, constant communication with the truck kind of laying out how I would, how I see the highlights going. And then they put all that quickly and then we, then we go through it. But I generally, if I'm paying attention, like I'm not, oh my God, this goal, what, what happened there? Like I, I should kind of know what's going on and why their goal occurred before, before it actually goes in the net. And the positive domino effect effect from that, Johnny, is unbelievable because in that eight seconds while the play-by-play guy is, is, you know, is doing his thing and the crowd's going wild or whatever when we had crowds, and I, because I'm listening to your play-by-play as we go along, you know, it's like if, if the goal was a result of a bad pinch at the other end, I know, I know the guilty guy. I know the goat on that play as well, too. So I'm sending the cameras to get to the goat so that I've got pictures to support that story either before we get to the replay or, the, or we get out of it. Mm-hmm. So that constant uh, stream of consciousness on talkback 
is invaluable for the producer and the director down the truck. And that was one of the things that I love the most about working with you. Yeah, well, and and I don't know. How, I, I honestly, I don't know how everyone does it. I've never sat in a truck and listened to somebody else do w- what I do. And I'm sure there's way better ways to do it and less annoying and more efficient and all these different things. I only know what I do. And I only know the feedback that I get from talking to you guys. You're like, hey, talk a little less. Like I've had producers that have said, hey, you got to stop. You got to slow down on the talk back. Like I can't, I can't hear you all game. I'm like, okay, I, I will slow it down. But, you know, when I watch games and I'm like, boom, they cut it right to, you know, the guy who stick broke on the play or, you know, they cut to the skate blade sit in the corner that I mentioned 25 seconds ago that, you know, and like, part of me, because you guys are really good at your jobs and you understand what's happening and you can look at your nine cameras and pick out what's going on real time as well. But I guess it's all some sort of symphony that the producer and the director are choreographing and I'm just another one of the instruments in it. And then whatever comes out on TV is, is the music that's made, but kind of like a, philosophy of most of my life like information is never bad it's never bad like whatever you do with it you can do with it but to have it at your disposal to use how you want is i, I can hardly sit think of a situation where that's a bad thing um so i i offer a lot of information <laughs> when i do a game i when we're when we have control of the cameras and we have control of the pictures it's it's a lot come down the pike like i look at the evs ops and they have like hundreds and hundreds of things clipped throughout the game um, when I do a game. It's funny, you talk about a producer saying to you that you're giving me too much and I can't even register the validity of that information because to me, if I'm producing a show and I'm giving Mike Johnson what he wants, wouldn't that make it a better show? Yeah, I, I, but unless the, like, the, you know, the, the, the volume of information coming from me is... is hurts you from doing your job because there's more than your job than just me. Like you got a lot to, as a producer, you got a lot to coordinate. Um, is there eight. though, is there more than just you? I'd like to give you the credit. <laughs> I'm trying to give you the credit. Listen, I'm not sure there is buddy. Truth be told, your job is primarily to cater to me. I mean, if you're doing your job properly, you're going to no. know. Um, yeah. So I, I have, I, I remember the games. I remember the games where, um, you know, it did where, where the producer was frustrated at the end of the game because he's like, you just, it's just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot of stuff coming at me all the time. I'm like, okay, that's fair. So when I, next time I work with that guy, you know, I, I changed, you know, I dropped it down a notch, but when I, I'll have a different producer, it says like, keep it coming. I don't care. I got, it's no problem for me. And taking a spin off that Johnny, what's it like when you work with different play by play guys? Um, do you, do you have to change or adapt your game in any way? Or do you just Johnny does Johnny and play-by-play guy does his stuff? Um, I mean, play-by-play guys are all very unique, but they're all kind of similar. Like, you know, there's there's moments in games where it's kind of appropriate to talk to, and there's moments in games where the play-by-play gets it. I've not worked with a play-by-play ever who who I felt, like, froze me out or didn't let me talk enough or or wanted to take every... And I don't care. Like, if the play-by-play guy's got a good story, like, tell it. If I have nothing good to offer, like, and your, your story is better than mine, like do it. I, I don't, I do not care. I, I really believe I, I, I don't think I bring much to an ego of an ego to this. I like whatever, if yours is good, go get it, have at it. Um, but I have not worked with anyone who really felt that way. Now there's some play by play guys who might want to ask you questions during play. And the danger of that is like, sometimes the audio setup is if I'm talking on talkback, which I often do, then I can't hear the play by play guy. So I'll be like, oh, did you see that guy in the corner? that? And then I come back on, on to my ear and it's silence. I'm like, he just asked me a question. I know he just asked me a question. 
and I'm not capable of answering because I have no idea what he said. So then it's kind of, a, so you have to be careful. That would be one situation where I would have to know um, the play-by-play guy. If he has a tendency to do that, maybe stay off the talk back a little bit less unless I'm actually speaking as opposed to just keeping it pinned on my hip the entire game. So when you're watching any sport, what analysts do you listen to and go, God, I could listen to that guy talk all day? That's a good question. Um, so I, I like Chris Collinsworth. I think he does a good job, um, you know, breaking things down, having some fun with it. He's very bright. I love the fact that, you know, I watch him and he can host shows and do panel stuff and still be a good, like, I like that he can, I can do it all. Um, you know, I, I love when Tony Romo could step in there and call plays. Now we don't, and well, and I like to do that. And in my mind, I'm doing that a lot, but it's hard in hockey because it's too fast and it's not static enough to, to say, Hey, watch out for this. Cause this is because there's not enough stops in the game, but I, I like that element of his game um, that he, that he's so dialed into the current NFL and the play calling that he can, he can predict his own, his own plays. Um, I kind of like Jeff Van Gundy in basketball because uh, he doesn't, pull any punches like he has got no time for any nonsense and like if he doesn't like it whether it's you know lebron james and a flop and he's like you know it doesn't matter that it's lebron james he's outraged and appalled like what is you know and i appreciate that out of a guy who's five foot five um you know not having that kind of professional experience he can still he still lets it fly i like that and lastly play by play or color you give me a pair of british guys calling football soccer and there is a there is a there is a, a fluidity and there is like a, a rhythm to their to their dialect that 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 resonates. I, mean, I like sports, I love sports, but just the way the way they just kind of integrate it with quiet bits and the crowd noise and the chanting, um, you know, and the great language they use when a goal is scored, um, the magisterial Lionel Messi and like whatever it is, like I think that obviously is uh, is pretty special as well. You mentioned Chris Collinsworth's ability to work in multiple roles. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time in the NHL Network and TSN Studios. Talk about the differences between your role as a game analyst and a studio analyst. So I like doing everything. And I think, you know, people ask me, which if I had to do one, I probably would call games because I enjoy the spontaneity of it. You know, if you had to do studio every single day, every single night, there is a, uh, like, uh, there's a format to it that, that might feel redundant 200th time of the year. Um, so, so I, I like that part about being involved in a game. And I like the fact that you're close to it, especially when you get to go between the benches and you're right down there. And, you know, I'm not trying to hang on to my professional career by any stretch, but it's still great to feel the juice. I remember Chop, I think it was you and I we were doing a Chicago. Yes. Chicago, Arizona playoff series. It was a great series. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was one of the first times I'd done a game in Chicago and I'm between the benches. I think I might've been in there with Pierre and the anthem started. And I was on top. I'm like, I swear to God, boys, I think I can play. Like, I think I can jump out there and play. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm so jacked up right now. I think I can go. So um, th- there's that part about being involved in the game is great. Um, there's way more prep to call a game prior to it. You know, just the amount of information you have to create for yourself because there's three hours you're going to be on air. If I'm doing studio work, even NHL network, it might be on air for two hours, but I'm talking for four minutes, eight minutes. Like it's not a lot of talking. So, um, you know, it, it's different in that regard. You're going to be so concise and, and, and very precise 
in studio and, and generally deal with bigger picture situations. Like I can get into a game and depending on what's going on in the game, I can get involved in the minutia. And if you're a hockey fan, like you'll find it interesting. It's something different that you maybe didn't appreciate in a studio panel hit and intermission, like those kind of things, you're going to deal with the kind of top line subjects um, because that's what people want to hear you dissect at length. So it's a different approach, but it's really the advanced prep is the biggest difference. It's much more, much longer calling games. Switching gears here a bit, Johnny, you do an NHL fantasy segment on TSN called The Inside Edge. Mm-hmm. How did this opportunity come about for you? And uh, man, I, I got to admit, I never had you pegged as a poolie. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not a massive poolie. I've, I've admitted, like, I didn't grow up, like, playing fantasy hockey. Like, it's not my thing to do. But I think the, re- the reality is fantasy sports and gambling on sports are is something that's going to grow and be a big part of sports broadcasting going forward. I think we need to appreciate that. And more and more uh, places, it's going to be legalized and it's going to be involved on the screen and there's going to be rolling different odds and as far as what's going on. And, and I think knowing that, I'm like, when it was presented to me by TSN to, to maybe be involved in this segment, I'm whatever, known as a guy who understands numbers. So I, I kind of get pitched, hello, it's a number thing. Give it to Mike, he, he'll do it. Um, so that's how it started. But I jumped into it full bore because I'm like, you know what, it's where... Sports are going. It's going to be part of every sport. Um, and so I approach it that way. There is very much a, a, a degree of, like when I have to call games, like predict who's going to win games. My gut will tell me it's one thing. And, and when I look at the numbers, I'm like, <laughs> my gut's wrong here. I probably would. I wouldn't bet my own money on that. So I'm not going to suggest anybody else, you know, that's a good idea. So that's where it, it brings a different element of analysis to it. But um, it's fun. It's it's all in good spirits. I'm not, no one's gonna you know put their mortgage down on one of my bits of advice or win or lose a pool. But it's it, it it's engaging because I think a lot of people will watch sports and continue to watch sports in a game that's you know it's it's a Super Bowl game. Why are you watching at thirty? Well, it's a Super Bowl, but if it's thirty-one nine. Why are you watching for in the fourth quarter? You're watching for your squares. You're watching for your over under. You're watching for how many times I'm gonna say Giselle. Whatever prop bet you're in on, you want to know. And so that's kind of how we're approaching it. So, Paul, since Mike Johnson's here, I think we should slide into our Conquest Q&A, right? Absolutely. I mean, we got one of the best in the business, Steve, so why wouldn't we? Johnny, we have a, a Q&A segment in every one of our, our podcasts. It's presented by Conquest Hockey, uncompromising premium hockey apparel. And, Mike, a lot of our listeners reach out to us and they say, like, you know, what's your advice for this or what's your advice for that? So I know we have aspiring sports TV analysts that are listening to us today. So broadcasts, when we do the broadcast, we like to break, you know, we always kind of start on the first or second whistle with our game keys, right? Mm-hmm. So let's take a page out of that book and, and ask if you could narrow being an, an A-level analyst down to three keys, what would it be? Okay. Um, three keys. One, um, answer why. Tell me why. Like, tell me why. Whatever's going on, there's a brawl going on, why? And, and why has a, ma- a million ways you can answer why. But tell me why. That's number one. Two, do your research. Like, you have to know what's happening. Don't be out there guessing. Don't be not sure of what happened previously, what the stats are. Have stats to support whatever your stance are. And, and the third thing um, is probably reps. Like, it's not an easy job to do. And... It's probably a reason why a lot of guys do it. Guys do it for a long time because it's 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 hard. It's hard to get good at. I like I, the first game I called. You know this job. It was the Allen Cup, which is like yeah. senior men's hockey. Like if you, if I was going to play hockey now at forty five, that's where I would play. 
<laughs> right, I, that was right. my first game. It was in Fort St. John, British Columbia in the middle, like almost in Yukon. And I'm like, yes, I'll do it. I'd be happy to do it. I was there for a week prepping for an Allen cup taped two hour window game. So um, yeah, I would probably say those would be my three keys. The one thing that jumps out at me, Mike, is your enthusiasm. Just uh, It started at the top for this interview, and it stayed at the top for this interview. How do you keep that enthusiasm where it is? It's fun, though. I mean, I think, I think there's a, a sincerity. One, I love sports, right? Like, I love sports, not just hockey. Like, I love basketball. I love tennis. I love golf. Like, I love it all. I love TV, and, and, and I like watching it. And, and I think, you know... So much is going on in the world where, where it's serious and it's heavy and it's not always fun. And like, I don't take myself too seriously. We're calling hockey games and it's entertaining and it's a sport. And the people that I'm around doing it are part of what makes it so great to do it year after year after year. So I don't know. It's not hard to have fun because I, I enjoy it. And I, like, I miss chop. I, 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 Steve, I know you a bit. Like, I like talking. I like talking shop. It's what we do after the game anyway. So might as well do it now. I just don't get to have a beer or in chop's case, a couple of glasses of wine. So that would be your, probably your fourth tip, I guess, then, right? So <laughs> yeah. have fun. That's it. So there you go. Uh, aspiring uh, hockey analysts, uh, pro tips with Mike Johnson there, brought to you by Conquest Hockey. For all your premium hockey apparel needs, check them out at conquesthockey.co and use the promo code INSIDE15 for 15% off your next order. Johnny, it was awesome. I can't believe it only it took us 21 episodes to get you on. That's my bad. I apologize for that. <laughs> Nobody puts baby in the corner 22 times in a row. <laughs> I know, there you go. Yeah, and I, I guarantee you next time we do it, let's do it later in the day so we can also have one of those nice bottles of fine wine that we used to enjoy together on the road beside us mm-hmm. while we chat because that will be the closest thing that we could ever have to one of our post-game soirees. Well, this year anyways, we'll have those soirees soon enough. Thanks very much, Mike. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Could we not have gone about an hour there, Paul? Oh, 100%. That could have been a two-parter easily, (laughs) easily. Or a six-parter. He mentioned John Davidson in there, who's now the Grand Poobah. I believe that's the correct title, Mm -hmm. with the New York Rangers. And I remember when John Davidson started working at Hockey Night. I was there. John Shannon was there. We were working in the Calgary office. And rather than putting JD on national games, you start him on midweek games, which was two mm-hmm. and seven in Calgary, ITV in Edmonton. And the very first game JD did was one of Ron McLean's first game as the two and seven host. And before JD was going to join the crew, before he was going to do the game, John Shannon said to me, Stevie, Stevie, go in the library and find some saves that JD made when he was playing for the Rangers. I'm like, oh, this should be easy. I hadn't been in the library too much. We had a, I don't know how many tapes were in the library in Calgary, probably four or 500. So I walk in and I hadn't really paid much attention to what was in the library. And I look and there's tapes like, sometimes it'll say, you know, highlights Toronto at Detroit and then have the date. Then there'll be other tapes like Jimmy's stuff. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that ought to work. So I'd take that out. I'd jam it in the three-quarter inch machine. And Jimmy's stuff would be highlights from a Pittsburgh-Philadelphia game in the 60s. Right. So we had another problem at that point, but I won't deal with that now. So not at this point. So I do find some highlights of JD playing for the Rangers, and he's playing against the Atlanta Flames. And so I'm like, great. I got my notes out. I'm ready to take a cue sheet, shot list, write down the saves that we... I'm watching. Puck goes in the net. 
Atlanta scores. Next highlight, puck goes in the net. Atlanta scores. Next highlight, puck goes in the net. Atlanta scores. Uh Uh-oh. So now, and it's harder in the old days because there was no internet, I got to go dig and I'm I'm going to look and see. I think it was nine to two Atlanta. Oh my goodness. So there are not going to be any saves. No, that's not a highlight pack. That's a low light pack. That's right. So I go back into John's office and I say, look, we got a problem. We got nothing but JD letting in pucks. He's like, how many does he let in? I said, I don't know, seven. He goes, perfect. We'll put those together. <laughs> so I'm producing that show, but it was John's idea. I'm not going to pretend it was my idea. So McLean is going to introduce Davidson in the studio before the show. Joining us is John Davidson, former NHL player, first round draft pick from the Calgary Centennials in the Western League. JD, this is a big deal having you here. Let's show some of your work when you played for the New York Rangers. JD has no idea this is coming. Ron goes, now here's a, gr- oh, oh, that one got by you. Okay. Well, he, this is, his, oh no. Oh dear. Guy Schwinnard scored on that one. <laughs> and now JD realizes what's happening. Uh-huh. That this is going to be nothing but goals on JD. Uh-huh. And he starts to laugh. Now we're not live. It's on tape. We could have done it again, but he starts to laugh. And to me at that instant, I thought, okay, that's John Davidson. Mm-hmm. He's not taking himself too seriously. Right. He knows the game. Yeah. We're not going to pretend that we're splitting any atoms here. And by the end of these seven goals just rolling by, JD is on the floor. And we come back out to them on camera, and he is beat red. He is laughing so hard mm-hmm. at this little 60-second pack that we've dropped in. And to me, it told me in a production team what JD was all about. And it told the viewer what JD is all about. You're going to love watching him. He's not going to take it too seriously. And you're going to have some fun along the way. I I just thought that was, and that resonated and has stuck with me for a very long time. So that'll put a wrap on episode 21. Remember, if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button on your favorite platform. Don't forget to follow Inside the Truck on Twitter, Inside the Truck Podcast on Instagram. Keep up to date with what's going on with the show and subscribe to our new Inside the Truck channel on YouTube for bonus content. Do you figure Johnny will come back if we ask him to come back another time? 100%. I think he could be a regular guest of the show. Don't tease me like that as we end. I'm Steve Lansky. He's Paul Hemming. That's it for today. You keep listening in Bowling Green, Ohio. Do you know where Bowling Green is, Paul? As a matter of fact, I do. It's just south of Toledo. Home of the Jamie Farr Toledo Classic on the LPGA Tour. You keep listening in Bowling Green, Ohio. And we'll keep bringing you Inside the Truck. Hey, Steve, how about the fight song? How about we go out with the Bowling Green Falcons fight song? Forward Falcons, forward Falcons, fight for victory. Show your spirit, make them fear it, fight for old BG.